0: Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Commercial Connection Podcast, where we hope to connect you with the wonderful world of owning commercial real estate. I am your host, Spencer Taylor. It is wonderful to have you with me. My guest today is a recent friend, Bill Gross. Bill was born and raised in Southern California. He's been in real estate for over 30 years and has done thousands of transactions his specialty and the topic, which we're going to be um, exploring today, is probate. Bill, welcome! Great to have you. Thanks, special. Nice to check back in with you. What's going on? Um, kind of before we dive too deep into this exciting topic, which I know you're going to make even more exciting, that of probate. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what do you do for fun? Hobbies, interests, all that, all that sort of stuff.
1: You know, um, I'm a stage in my life. It sounds kind of boring, but in really exciting uh, Friday or Saturday night these days, is me and my wife looking at each other saying, We wonder if our daughters are a grandson by, drop them off for a couple hours. That's about <laughs> as much excitement as we get. I mean, and I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, uh, my wife and I have been married 36 years. We have our, the one, one child, uh, but she's uh, given us a grandson, and she's got a second on the way. And so we're just obsessed grandparents. They live about four blocks from us, so we serve grandson a couple times a week. Um, but um, I grew up in California, been in real estate as well. At the same time, I married my wife for thirty six years, and um, you know we're very involved with the local community. Uh, and we're uh, I'm a swimmer. I'm on a swim team. Uh, I do private real estate, and then we play with my grandson. That's about that's about as far as my life goes anymore.
0: Isn't it? amazing how just the different stages of life, I don't know, reveal or uncover different talents you have mm. and different priorities, mm. you know?
1: I so, never imagined. I used to see people with their grandkids and thought how crazy it was. And <laughs> personally, I'm just smitten by my grandson. So um I'm just, completely, you know, and again, I'm not embarrassed to admit it or, you know, the slightest bit uh, gonna hold back from that. So no, it is interesting how life, you go through different phases and embrace different steps
0: along the way. Yeah. Well, Bill, um, thank you so much for joining us. I, when I hear about probate, my mind spins off into this world of confusion. I don't know what it is. I don't really know other people who have been in it, who have dealt with it. So I'm really excited to have you on here because I feel like a lot of our listeners are at the stage where, you know, they got to get their wills, they got to get their legacy planning set up, um, to maybe just be prepared for that, for that next stage in life and have all their ducks in a row for their heirs. And so I'm excited to have you on and just talk about what is probate, real estate probate? How do these two worlds kind of um, intertwine? Well, there's
1: two ways to approach it. One is as a consumer, I think anybody who owns a house, anybody who has kids, yeah, should have a plan for when you're not available to make decisions on your own, whether it be incapacitated physically, or emotionally, or mentally, or no longer here. And, you know, simple example, in my case, <clears throat> we have one child, my wife and I live nearby, but my son-in-law, he, his parents, you know, what would happen? God forbid if something happened to my daughter and son-in-law, you know, who would raise them? And what you don't want is a conflict. What you don't want is both sides of the lawyer up and fight over it, and it happens a lot. What you want is to have your wishes uh, carried on, whether it be, again, if you're alive, but incapacitated or gone, how your assets are redistributed and how you want things taken care of. That's the consumer side. And I would say that while in the past it was very expensive and cumbersome nowadays with technology like everything else, it's gotten easier. And uh, whether it be a local attorney that you work with or an online service like trustinmobile.com, everybody who owns property, everybody who has a family should at least have a plan in writing uh, let's hope you don't need it. Let's hope you live a long and healthy life, but, you know, be prepared so that, and I think just the process is a relief of stress, knowing that those things are done. On the business side, which is where I really operate, um, the way I try to talk to, to investors in, um, in in real estate, the brokers, as well as on the uh, maybe commercial on uh, the acquisition side, is think of probate as just a narrow, a narrow series of problems. But if you can solve that series of problems, then you have expanded the available inventory that's available to you to buy um, compared to the competition. I think every, every company that's um, you know syndicating or building a portfolio or you know, buying for their own or buying for clients um, will say, gee, there's enough properties or we offer a lot of properties, but there's properties they don't get to because of some legal entanglement or some challenge. And oftentimes, the problem is resolved through the probate process, and so what I do is work with real estate brokers and agents and families and investors when they find a property they want that has a probate-related problem to help them unlock that problem.
0: So when you say um, a probate a probate-related problem, so maybe this property would sell to mm-hmm. your clients
1: mm-hmm.
0: if everything was resolved. Mm-hmm. Within the probate and and real quick, define for us what is probate. What happens in probate? Kind mm-hmm. of why is that a a uh, a web of um, challenges?
1: So probate is is a term I use that encompasses the whole genre of transition of property from one person to the next, usually by death. So mom and dad die and they leave the property to the kids. How does that happen? Well, sometimes it's by the deed. Sometimes the plan ahead is by an estate plan or or a trust. Yeah. But sometimes they don't have a plan. What I would say is if you don't have a plan, the state has a plan for you. It's a lot like the uh, uh, Department of Motor Vehicles. It's just not as consumer friendly. And and usually if you're in California, that scares the heck out of people. I don't know what's like in Utah, but most states, that's a scary proposition to go to the state and have them transfer title. Because what happens is if mom and dad pass, and intend the property to go to their son, in most states, people, the biggest misconception is most people believe a will will transfer the property, but it won't. The will has to be effectuated in probate court in most states. And so you have this will, go. oh, I'm entitled to this property, I'm going to sell it. And with the title copy, going to say not so fast. You need to go through the right court channels and depending on the state you're in, that could be long or longer. And it could be painful or more painful depending on which uh, the 50 states you're in to take that will even to make that transfer. And then there's sometimes cases where people don't understand the implications like um, you know, people you know, die and um, uh, there's a lawsuit and there's a probate that maybe they don't have any assets but you create a probate so that the, because a person who's passed can't sue but an estate can sue somebody mm-hmm. uh, and they win the judgment. Now they have access to a property but the property is not titled name of a person is named in the state, which is a probate. So I work with different attorneys on um, estates where there's a lawsuit or class action suit, and they get paid, and they and they maybe have a judgment they collect on a property. But how do you transfer that to the suit? And then I think another common case is acquisitions teams will find a property and they're ready to close, and they will find out well the property was owned by grandma and grandpa, and they gave it to four. Kids, but all of a sudden the blue, a fifth kid pops up, or a prior marriage pops up, or uh, and then all of a sudden now how do you transfer title to that last person? What looks like a title problem is solved through probate quite often.
0: So maybe what, what are some things about probate that our listeners should know? Um that maybe a lot don't don't typically know, that don't usually mm-hmm. know. Because you know, I don't know again it's almost like taking your car into the mechanic right that mechanic knows a lot more about your car than you do <laughs> in terms of what's under the hood there's there's a lot of something called maybe information asymmetry where knowledge and knowledge of the process is held by just a few people and all of us kind of on the outside don't really know how to navigate this so help us how do yeah. we avoid how do we avoid this tips on just kind of maybe navigating through the probate process
1: you know i find most customers are dissatisfied when they hire an attorney to resolve things like this and my story about 90 percent. one reason why is what you say the asymmetry of, it, of information they feel like the attorney has all the control and they don't really know even to ask questions or they don't feel comfortable asking them so oftentimes i'm the third person you can ask in many states i can actually look at the case look at the documents i don't give legal advice but I can look at the procedures and I can doc- look at the documents and tell you where you are oftentimes, or what questions to ask the attorney. And so oftentimes people are scared to ask. And I can say, well, look, this doesn't appear to have been filed and it needs to be filed. Ask them if they filed it and it's not showing up or ask them when to plan on filing it. And so I think I think you, you make a good point. But, you know, what I always tell people is the law is all written in English. You know, behind me I have the probate code. It's a blue book back there. It's all in English. It's not that complicated. Uh, in fact, most attorneys, most who are eligible to practice in various states have not even cracked the paragraphs on Parabate since they got their license, uh, but they're entitled to by law to brush up on it and deal with it. But it's the same book in English that you or I could read. And so I just encourage people to find out as much as they can on their own to empower themselves to make the right decision. Too often, I find people say, oh, I have a problem. I need a, a referral to an attorney. And the attorney might be a great person. He might be a great attorney. He's just not that competent in probate specifically. And one thing I've learned is that you always want to get somebody who's an expert in that niche, particularly in law. There's a big difference between a probate attorney and a standard attorney who can dabble in probate or a landlord eviction attorney versus a tenant defense attorney. Those are two different animals entirely. And so your point is well taken, but I do think Michael, I tell people, look, if you have a problem with a case or, or, or a property you're looking to, to purchase or sell, uh, call me. I'd be glad to walk you through as best I can or direct you to somebody who can give you an answer um, efficiently.
0: Yeah, okay, so Bill, help us um understand what what is it what is it what it is you do. Why do you get up in the morning? Kind of what what service are you providing to um real estate investors in inside the this world of probate?
1: Well, I'm a real estate broker. My main job is helping uh, uh, families and uh, attorneys and their clients sell property. Um, in reality, what happens is I get phone calls all day long. I'd like to buy this property, but here's a problem. I'd like to sell this property, but here's a problem. And then I look at it and see if I can help them solve the problem. Sometimes it's it's a legal problem. Sometimes it's just a business problem and I'll help find the right attorney for them if they need an attorney. And if they don't, oftentimes I can advise them what to do. If it's not a legal problem, it's just a business problem. So I I tell people you know, my job is to help you know, take your problem and dissect it and then find the right solution for it for you. But my my basic business is I, um, I have a real estate business where I you know, sell houses and uh, property, commercial property, industrial, retail property, uh, as well as I have a team of agents underneath me that do the same thing around the country. Um, and I interview attorneys across the country. I have a, a podcast every week, uh, probateweekly.com, where I interview attorneys and vendors uh, in a space where I think I've interviewed more attorneys, I'm sure, than any other realtor in the business. I've also interviewed attorneys in various states. So I'm, I'm familiar with the different terminologies and, and the different differences in the business in different states. And I understand that each state's different and more importantly, each county is different. So really, you really want somebody who really knows not just the state law, but the county that you're doing business in. If it has to go to court, you want somebody who operates in that county and goes to that courthouse on a regular basis. So to answer your question, my basic business is all day long. I have attorneys and families who call me or real estate investors. Hey, I have a property I want to buy or a property I want to sell, but here's the problem. Can you help me? And I try to help me with that.
0: Yeah. Would you care to share any case studies of people you've helped along the way, either a seller or a buyer?
1: I mean, I get them all the time. I think, you know, one case I have, for example, um, a brother and several sisters were heirs to property where the brother helped the father build this business. Mm. And so it's a classic case where, you know, the son is basically taking over the business from the father. Um, but how do you title it? and How do you distribute the assets? And there was a dispute as to whether he meant to transfer to the son three quarters or half. And it's a difficult case because the son was the administrator of the case, as well as the heir, as well as uh, the buyer of a property. And so the good news is in California, we have very strict procedures, but if you follow the procedures, ultimately the court will decide and confirm what you want to. And so my job was to work with the attorney and say, look, this is the exact process you should go through. Rather than you litigate you know, the outcome you want, just make a proposal, send it to court and say the judge, judge would like you to confirm this. But ultimately, it's the judge making the decision that we have the liability is off our shoulders. So we took a case that had been litigated for years, and we were able to um, get the property sold. My client was able to get the property he wanted; he got a good price. I think the other heirs also got a good price. But most importantly, we got it done because I had a solution and got everybody kind of lined up on the solution.
0: So you were repping the buyer, and the heirs were were owned were the seller basically.
1: Well, technically, I was representing the estate, which was selling the property, as well as the buyer, which was one of the heirs. And you might say, well, that sounds like you're, you're double dipping the buyer buying from the estate. The answer in California, we have a provision which says when that happens, the court has certain rules you have to follow if you want to do that. But if you follow the rules, the court will approve it. And so we followed the... So rather than say, well, you know, pass on buying a property that you intend on buying. It's your business. You don't want to give it up. You you spent 20 years building it with your father. It's your legacy. The court had a a procedure that said, well, as long as you follow these rules, the court will prove a sale. And that's exactly what we did. At the end of the day, when the the other heirs complained, and said, hey, we think it's not fair he's selling it to himself. The court said, well, based on the procedures, you can offer to buy more. Do you want to pay more? And they Mm -hmm. said no. And he said, well, sorry, that's that's how the system works. And so it's really, it sounds kind of a one hand heartless, but my job is not to sympathize with the other parties. My job is to sympathize with my client and get done what they want.
0: Well, in a, in a way, it's not heartless because they could come in and they could compete for that offer, right? They could right. for to to buy that, right? And so- I give them it, every
1: chance. And my job is to give them every chance on the document they had every chance to do that. Absolutely.
0: interesting. Interesting what other what other um, case study would you like to share with us?
1: Well, gosh, there's a lot. you know uh, one uh, uh, you know I think I think the one thing I would say is, and yeah, I work with attorneys, my best clients are attorneys. but my best clients are the top five or ten percent that are really good. The other nine percent, like real estate agents, I think, are not good and will tell their clients things that aren't true. I think that as a general rule, Attorneys are people who sound like they know what they're talking about when they know nothing about what they're speaking. Like that's their common skill. I think they get that by practicing you know, speaking impromptu and moot court and all those kinds of things. And so just because a trade tells you something um, doesn't mean it's true. And that's why most politicians are attorneys because they talk all the time and they sound like they know what they're talking about. And they don't know what they're talking about. One case comes to mind where the uh, there's a property for sale that my investor wanted to buy and the court won't approve certain types of sales unless the property is least offered for sale. So I called the attorney and said, listen, I know you're not listing the property because you don't want to. He said, oh no, we're not listing it because the property is in such bad condition, you can't list it. And I said, that's crazy. Not only do I know that's not true, I have three listings right now that I'm sure worse than your property. <laughs> and he goes, what? And I showed pictures of some of the properties I've listed with it. I've taken properties that had rats and squirrels. And I had, you know, we junk stuff out all the time. Termites. We find guns. We find unregistered guns, drugs, drug dealers. In you know, probate, you end up with some neglected properties. And neglected properties can be bad. But it was just telling the turn in. I don't care about the property. If somebody's willing to pay for it. My job is just to get to market as efficiently as we can. And so by being able to get that attorney to realize he had a responsibility to list the property, my client was able to buy it and get a good price and and made money on it. So sometimes it's a case where an investor feels like it's a dead end and my job is to help pressure so that we get the the job, uh, get the deal for them.
0: Wow. That's so cool.
1: Interesting. And then in in multifamily, same thing where I had a case where uh, I think sometimes some of the larger projects, the because the more money involved, you have really strong egos and really strong emotions behind it. And so again, I feel the the attorney and the realtor both really didn't know that the court won't approve the sale unless it's marketed, uh, uh, you know, to to the public to get it for a price in certain circumstances. And so we were able. My my client was a minority owner of the property, and she was concerned they were selling it on the cheap to one of the realtors' friends, which they were. And we just documented how they didn't market the property. When I called to show the property, they wouldn't allow us in. When I called, asked questions, they never responded. And as a result, the court was able to force them to list the property and get top dollar. And my customer you know, got like an extra million dollar sale price. I think she had a quarter of that just by helping them raise the price. So I think it's one of the things where sometimes it seems like you're just gunning the works for the seller but if there's multiple heirs involved you're helping the heirs who otherwise are getting cheated so i you know my job is just to follow the procedures and the law and the court and not to really worry about the consequences too much other than for my client
0: so when you go into these meetings wh- wh- where are you at like mentally like you know there's different egos at play there's mm-hmm. different circumstances there's different priorities every party has their own priority right right and So as you go, as you go into these situations that could be very contentious.
1: Very, by definition, you have multiple attorneys, that's contentious by definition.
0: (laughs) What, what, like, what, what kind of walk us through mentally, where are you at? What your first step in the room, kind of, what are you thinking?
1: You know, I think I always try to focus on two things. One, I want to be respected and I think that means that you have to, uh, for example, like when I'm in a meeting in person with attorneys, I dress like an attorney. When I go to court, I dress like an attorney. I'm not, I'm not fooling anybody, but I think they they treat me more as an equal than if I dress as a real estate agent or an yeah. investor. So you go to court in LA County, attorneys wear coats and ties and realtors typically wear polo shirts or t-shirts and jeans. I'll mm-hmm. always wear a coat and tie when I go to court. Yeah. Um, and I'll act in a lawyerly way in front of the judge. Um, I think in, in business in general, uh, attorneys, bad attorneys, will hype up the emotions of their client because that keeps them in the game and billing hours and keeps them in the fight. I always felt like attorneys are kind of like um, I've never been to, but I've seen television like cockfights where they take the, the roosters and wave them at each other and get them riled up. I, I find attorneys spend too much time doing that rather than really um, helping their client focus on, you know, really what they want at the end of the day. And so, for my job, I feel like my job is to be the comport in the storm. And you know, people yell at me and swear at me and call me names. And at times, not all the time. I'm just saying we all go through that. But I really focus on being as unemotional as possible because it's a very emotionally charged matter. This is mom or dad passed and left the property, and they feel entitled. And you're not going to convince them otherwise. You're you're just yeah. not. Uh, so it's not my job to change their mind. It's just my job to do my job. And I really do my best to try to keep my emotions out of it, and and um, and I also think listening a lot and paying attention. Uh, you know, I, this case I told you about, where the um, the error was the buyer and the seller, in essence. You know, I was watching the attorney kind of arguing with a judge, and we went out at a break, and I said to my attorney uh, client and, and the client, I said, "This guy's lost the judge's support. He's he's arguing with a judge. You never argue with a judge. You respectfully ask, present your argument to a judge." Yeah, An attorney should never be seen as arguing with a judge. And I I see realtors do it, investors do it. And I always feel like, once you start down the path, you've lost. Because it's not your it's not their job to argue with you. They're the judge. The judge your decision, yes or no. So to answer your question, I think my my rule is, and I just got the phone now with a lady who, it's a $300,000 mobile home. And she has a disabled sister who's the other heir. And she's got all kinds of emotional problems. And every time I talk to her, she's very hyped up. It's my job to be... Um and to listen and to let her vent a little bit and um, that's why I can do on the computer because I can listen to her and get some work done while she's venting a little bit. But my job is to be the calm and the storm for her in her life. So I do that you know with people all day long.
0: So if you if you were and just kind of as we're wrapping up here, uh, kind of what tips would you give to um, maybe the owner that's about to pass? Mm. It's, and it's it's about to be willed, you know, at his passing to his heirs. Mm. What tips would you give that owner? And then what tips would you give the heir as, you know, they just found out that their parents passed and they're going to be possibly, you know, willed uh, or, and, and inherit a, a piece of property kind of what, what tips would you give both of that, both sides of that coin?
1: Well, on the, the if you think you're passing or you, maybe if you don't know if you're going to pass tomorrow or not and that yeah. was due you should have a plan in place yeah okay and i'm saying at a minimum have a plan in place for how you want things handled uh both in terms of medical decisions as well as financial decisions before you start and that way you do the best job possible now the truth is anybody can sue anybody for anything uh, i live in california which is a very litigious state and so just because you have a, tr- a plan doesn't mean there won't be litigation um, but you want to have a plan in place that will do its best to minimize litigation. And if you have a complicated trust, you'll need a complicated well, I'm, I'm sorry, if you have a complicated life, you need a complicated plan. If you have mm-hmm. a simple life, you a more simple plan in place will work. Um, so I would just say just make sure you have a competent plan in place, appropriate for your assets, appropriate for the com- complexity of your life and update it every few years because a lot does change and you want to make sure you haven't forgot something or something didn't change that you lost out on. And for an heir, you know, I think oftentimes they don't realize the rights they do have. I can only speak to California, but if you are an heir or should be an heir in a trust, if you, let's say you're, you're a child, you might be written out of the trust, but you're entitled to be notified of that. And so I would always say, uh, you get an attorney to protect your, your your rights. On property, the ownership is public record. Get the public record of the vesting of the property. Look for deeds recorded. And or order preliminary time reports, you can see how the property is deeded because oftentimes a property might, they might have a trust, you know, a trust is like a safe deposit box, people get them, but then they don't put the property in the trust. And mm-hmm. in California, we have a process where you can, after the fact, put it in the trust, most states don't, but at least you want to know, is the property in the trust or not? And the only way to tell is what's been recorded with the county. So I would just say, just do the research, find a local realtor like me. I have a whole network of agents around the country who can help look up those public records and, or maybe introduce you to Trey if you don't have one.
0: Bill, thank you so much for taking the time just to kind of help clarify this process. It's been wonderful to kind of pick your brain on that.
1: I appreciate what you do and enjoy your podcast and glad to help anytime. If anybody wants to reach out to me, come on probateweekly.com. If you want to hear it and learn more about probate regularly, yeah. or reach out to me on my social media at Bill EXP.
0: Wonderful. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you felt like this has been worth your time, please give us a five-star review. We would love that. And also send this recording to a friend or neighbor who could use this. And Bill, I'm sure you could take calls from anywhere in the country and Hmm? Answer, answer questions. So appreciate that. And so to all of our listeners until next time, have a good day.